Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. You know, there's nothing that compares to Jesus. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, look at verses 12 through 15. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. It says, The next day the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said... Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. I believe that the Spirit of God understood how important the last week of Jesus' life was here on this earth. So much so that he inspired John to write 57% of his gospel based on the last week of Jesus' life. Matthew was 30%, Mark was 40% or 60%, and then Luke was 33%. All about the last week of the life of Jesus. And we know that it all began when he rode into Jerusalem on a colt and began to share some things in the reactions of the people. Just a few things I want to share about comparison with regard to everything that took place when Jesus made his way into Jerusalem on that wonderful day. First of all, the first comparison, Jesus compared to religion. Think about that statement. Jesus compared to religion. These children are not learning religion. They're learning Jesus. Amen? We know that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, things were supposed to be going on the way they were for many, many years. Jews were to journey back to Jerusalem, and what they were supposed to do is to celebrate the feast of the Passover. And so they all made their way. Year after year after year after year after year. The same thing. The same route. The same places to stay. The same everything. The same prayers. The same rituals. The same sacrifices. All those things took place year after year. But not this year. Not this year. Something's different this year. Jesus comes riding in. Everybody gravitates towards Jesus, and all of a sudden there's this fanfare. They got palm branches that they're waving, they got clothes thrown on the, on the ground everywhere as he is coming in, and they're hailing him as King of the Jews. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now, deliver us now, is what they're crying out. Imagine the scene when all this took place differently than ever before on this particular day in Jerusalem. In other words, what they were saying was, do for us what religion hasn't been able to do for us all these years. Jesus was a breath of fresh air to those people. And those people gravitated towards Jesus. Why? Because he had something different to offer. Something different. Look at Mark's gospel, chapter 12 and verse 37. Look at what it says. David therefore himself called him Lord, and whence is he that is then his son? And the common people heard him gladly the common people notice that not the ruling religious folk but the common people heard him gladly and because they heard him gladly there was friction between jesus and what he taught 
and all the religious order of the day. And I mean to tell you, they were not happy with him, but the common people were happy with him. Look at Matthew chapter 15 and look at verses 1, 2, and 3. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees which were of Jerusalem saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands, notice, when they eat bread. He had, think about this just for a moment. The common people are like, uh-oh, here come the heavies. Here comes the, the leaders. And they're going to come in and they're going to criticize Jesus now. How's he going to react? Because they cowered in fear from all these leaders. They didn't know what to expect. Listen to what Jesus says. But he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? They said, Why do you transgress the tradition? He says, Why do you transgress the commandment of God? And they went, Oh man, they were so excited. Somebody finally stood up to these ruling religious leaders and told them the truth. That what they were believing was a lie. And their traditions were meaningless. Think about that. Religion compared to Jesus is what we're talking about. And so they were very upset, of course, with Jesus. And why not? Listen to what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 23. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but listen to this. Seven times he called them hypocrites. Two times he said blind guides. Two times he said fools that are blind. One time he says you're blind. And another time he says you're vipers and you're snakes and you won't escape the fires of hell. Can you see them in the background going, <laughs> all right, somebody finally stood up to them. And why is it that they were so gladly drawn to Jesus? Because there's a difference between religion and Jesus. He wasn't religious. Jesus was concerned about the inside of a man's heart, not the outside. The cleaning of the cups. He said, clean the inside. The outside will take care of itself. Jesus, religion says, it's all negative. You can't. It's all negative. Jesus says, through me you can do it all. Religion puts up walls between people, but Jesus tears down the walls. You remember the court of the temple, the temple courts, four of them? The outer court, that was the court of the Gentiles. Then you have the court of the women. Then you have the court uh, of the Israel. And then you have the court of the priests. From the outside is the least holy to the inside is the most holy. And there were all these courts, all these walls put up. And if you tried to get from the court of the Gentile any closer, you were killed. You died the death for doing something like that. But Jesus, he tears down the walls. You see, the most holy place, only the high priest could go there. But praise God, when Jesus came, he says, let's get these walls out of the way. Let's rip this curtain in two and open up the door so even a Gentile can come into the throne of God. Look in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and what it says in verse 13 through 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes what? Far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He's our peace who had broken down the, who had made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the laws and commandments obtained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity, thereby came and preached peace to you that were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So whether you were a Jew afar off on the outside, or if you're a priest on the inside, the walls are down because of Jesus, and we can all enter in and have a wonderful time of fellowship with the living God. You better shout about that one. 
Religion couldn't offer that. You see, religion says, work your way to God. Jesus says, I am your way to God. Religion says, we must do certain things. Jesus says, I've done it. It's finished. Follow me and be transformed. Hallelujah. So, what was the appeal? Jesus is more appealing than religion. And these, pre, these high people in high places couldn't stand it. Look at John 9, 12 verse 19. They couldn't stand it. It says, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how you prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Somebody say amen. amen. Religion doesn't cut it. Can I throw one thing in here right now? I grew up with religion. And I'm telling you, I grew up in a setting where they scared the bejeebers out of me. Anybody know what a bejeeber is? Scared the bejeebers out of me. You know why? Because I was never good enough. And I was taught that the day I die, I will go to a place of suffering. I'll suffer in that place until I make atonement for my sin. And then, then when, when all that atonement is made by me, then I'll be able to get up there into glory by my suffering. And also I was taught this. The way to get out? You better get as many people on earth praying for you as, as much as you possibly can. When my mother, grandmother died in 1969, I was 18 years old, and I was scared beyond words. First person close to, to us that died in our family, and I all of a sudden picked up, got all my materials, got all my books. How many prayers do I have to pray? How many candles do I have to light? I will do anything. I will do everything, Grandma, to get you out of that place. I would tell people, let's pray for her. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do this. Let's do that. Guess what? Religion was wrong. I said religion was wrong. There was nothing to be afraid of. If you make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, you don't go to a place of suffering. He suffered that place for you. You go straight to glory and be with the Father on high. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Glory be to God. And when I went back and told those leaders and I said, why do we do this when it says that? You know what they said to me? Exactly what they said here. You don't follow that book. It was written by man. You follow the traditions of the church. Could have knocked me over with a feather. I said, adios. I'm finding me a new church that believes the Bible, the word of the Most High God. Can you say amen? Number two. We'll get this quick. Scripture compared to opinions of men. Look at, once again, John 12, verse 16. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look! Your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Why is that so important? Because men have their opinions of Jesus. Do you remember Jesus said, who do men say that I the son of man am? And what do they say? Some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah the prophet. Some say that you're a Jer Jeremiah, maybe Isaiah, one of the other prophets. Some say you're Beelzebub, the prince of the devils, and some say you're not even of God. Uh, Nicodemus came and said you're a teacher and the list goes on and on and on and on and on about who people say that he is even today people say who he is he's a good teacher he's a good man he's a good role model he's a this he's a that and all that well you know what those are all opinions that's all they are John did not refer to an opinion when John said those words he was referring to Zechariah 9 9 let's read it Zechariah 9 9 Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, 
Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. When he was coming into Jerusalem on that day, riding on that donkey, that donkey identified him as their Messiah. Just as when Jesus came up out of the water and John was told, when you see the Spirit of God land on him, that's the Messiah. That verse right there, he's riding on a donkey's colt, should have told all those leaders, if they knew their Bible, if they knew the Torah, if they knew the Word of God, he is the Messiah riding on the colt. And listen, when kings are at peace, they ride on a donkey. When kings come at war, they ride on a horse. In Revelation chapter 19, he's not coming on a donkey. He's not coming on the colt of a donkey. He's coming on a white horse to make war, praise God, with a sharp two-edged sword in his hand. They should have known. Scripture is to be exalted above opinion or the traditions of men. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And so we thank God for Scripture. <laughs> Look in the book of Luke uh, chapter 19. Real quick, once again, we're going to get quick through this. When he was come nigh, then this is Luke's rendition of the same event. Jesus just came into Jerusalem. He came riding on the donkey. And look at what he says. When he was come nigh, even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had done. Saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. When they heard all the noise that was being made and how they were praising him and honoring him, the big guns said, Tell them to stop it. He answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee about around and keep thee in, in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. You ready for this? The creator of the universe visited him on that day that we call Palm Sunday when he was riding on that mule into the town of Jerusalem. The creator, the, the sustainer of all life, the redeemer, the Messiah, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end was riding on that coat and they did not recognize the day of their visitation. They didn't see it. And he says, you know what? Because of that, Jerusalem will be done. The temple will be gone. A.D. 70, that came to pass. We're not going to take time to read Daniel. But in Daniel, it prophesied that when this is going to happen, this is going to happen in that year, when the Messiah comes and the Messiah is cut off. And if you go back to Daniel, that's the prophecy of the end time events and the rapture of the church and all that. And what you find out, like here, Sir, Sir Robert Anderson, very, very intellectual mathematician, put together all these facts, all these numbers, and he puts it like this. From the time the decree went out to rebuild Jerusalem until the time the Messiah would come and be cut off was 69 years or 69 sevens of years, which means 483 years. 483 years. And to the very day, that's exactly when that happened. 
So when John was saying, are you going to believe the opinions of men? Or are you going to believe fulfilled prophecy that says this? His chance of fulfilling all those prophecies, listen to this, is one in 10 to the 21st power. And maybe to put it in a better way, it is one and then in what trillion, 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 13 times trillion, one. In other words, it's absolutely, positively impossible that any human being could possibly fulfill all the prophecies that were spoken about Jesus. Impossible. Yet, he did. And they were all fulfilled. So when he says, you're looking to what these people say about him, he's the Messiah. He is your king who came on a cult and you didn't recognize him in your day of visitation. So all these days, 173,880 days were fulfilled. And that's when Jesus came, etc. And then, of course, Jerusalem was, was fulfilled, was prophesied, and Rome brought it down and so on. Number three in our conclusion, following Jesus compared to observing Jesus. Jesus mentions four people groups that were there on that day when they were there to celebrate the Passover, their deliverance out of uh, e Egyptian bondage and slavery. There were four different people groups. And we want to identify ourselves. What kind of a person are we? What group are we a part of? Number one, the disciples in verse 16. Look at the verse 16. These are the disciples of the Lord. These things understood not as disciples at the first, but when Jesus glorified, was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done, all, done these things unto him. So now they had the verification of Scripture. And they were his disciples and they followed him. Number two, we have the other people group. And that group is the ones that were there because Lazarus was raised up from the dead. And they saw it with their own eyes. Number two, look at verse 17. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead bear record. Number three, there were those that heard the testimony of Lazarus raised from the dead, but they didn't see him raised from the dead. But they heard other people talk about him raised from the dead. So they were there to find out. If this truly was Jesus and what he was all about. Was he really the Messiah? Look at verse, next verse 18. For this cause the people also met him for that they heard that he had done this miracle. They heard it. And then the fourth one you've got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the religious people of the day. Look at verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Beloved, these Pharisees... Were blind leaders of the blind, like Jesus said. And they didn't even know the day of their visitation. And they were blind, leading the blind to the ditch where they would be eternally separated from God. Religion is not reality. Jesus is reality. What people group do we belong to? This is the day of our visitation. We can be observing Jesus or we can be following Jesus. We could be talking about Jesus or we could be living for Jesus. This is the day of our visitation. What's the conclusion? He's more appealing than religion. He's more than an opinion of men. He's the fulfillment of all scripture. We can either observe him and live far away at a distance. Or we can live for him as a disciple Knowing his love.